Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Think It Make It podcast. I'm excited to have Bob Warfield, the creator of G-Wizard Speed and Feed Calculator, on as a guest. Be sure to stick around to the end of this podcast because Bob is giving a special discount to the listeners of the podcast. Welcome to the Think It, Make It podcast with your host, Eric Royer, all about turning your ideas into reality with a CNC router, tips and tricks, new products, interviews, and much, much more. This just got exciting. Whether you're using a CNC for business or hobby, we have great stuff in store for you. Okay, everybody. Well, today I am happy to have Bob Warfield with cnccookbook.com with me. Bob, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great, Eric. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to, to talk with me and uh, talk to our audience here. I'm, I'm really excited about it. Been a big fan of your software uh, for the last... Well, I, I would say for a long, long time, and I've been following you for a long time, but ever since we launched our Q machine, so over the last year, that's really where I got introduced to the G-Wizard software, and uh, we use it every day, and uh, I that's why I was excited to have you on board here, uh, because I just I can't say enough good things about it with our customers that use it, and uh, you know when you get into that the feed and speeds discussions with people, it's kind of a black hole and your software really helps hone things in. So I really appreciate that. Oh, thanks for the kind words. (laughs) It's my pleasure. I, I, uh, you've saved me, uh, literally, uh, several thousand dollars in broken end mills and wasted material over the last couple months alone. So for that, I appreciate it. Excellent. So what, what is your background? I'm always curious because uh, I follow your blog and everything and you've got like, it never seems like you run out of things to talk about. So you're, you're very, very knowledgeable. Well, I'm a software developer and a CNCer. Mm-hmm. I've uh, been doing both practically forever. I, I put myself through school uh, consulting for the CAD companies of that day, like uh, Computer Vision and Intergraph. And I was basically helping them move their CAD software onto uh, Sun workstations. And we were using a graphics library from a company none of us had ever heard of called Lucasfilm. Uh-huh. Imagine my surprise when those Star Destroyers started flying right over our heads in the movie theaters. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how I got started. Wow, that's that's awesome. Uh, so you never worked, uh, you never like worked for a professional machine shop or anything. You, you've been doing it kind of as your own business. Yeah, exactly. I've been, I've been working with machining and CNC, uh, oh gosh, since I, before I even went to college, you know, my first projects, we were trying to machine shafts for bearings on a South Bend lathe. and went to a, went to a pro machine shop, talked him into letting me hang around and, and learn a little bit about the trade. And, uh, you know, got the, got the project done and just, just kept at it. I was fascinated by it. Uh, wound up with a lathe and a mill. And uh, uh, after starting CNC Cookbook, of course, I, I got invited to every machine shop around. And, and so I spent a lot of time with the guys, talked to a lot of professional CNCers, talked to a lot of hobby CNCers, too. So what do you do? You have a, you have a CNC machine at your house or shop or whatever? I have several. Okay. I have several. I've got a I've got a uh, a Tormach, uh, CNC mill and lathe, and I've got also uh, a Shape Oco router. Okay. Uh, I've got a couple of machines I built that are routers, mm-hmm. uh, and then I've also got, like I say, there's a, a number of shops that I'm very friendly with, 
So I go over and use their hoses and, and uh, Fidal machines for the most part. I think there's one DMG. That's cool. You're in California, correct? Yeah, I'm near Silicon Valley in uh, Santa Cruz, California. Okay. Now, are you familiar with uh, Titans of CNC? You, do you sure. So, so are you near him at all? I think he's further north, but yeah, we're in the same general area. Okay. I wasn't sure if you ever were over there or ever met him or anything. I've never met Titan. I would love to meet him sometime. Yeah, likewise. He's. Uh, I love watching his videos, and uh, there's a guy who's passionate about uh, the industry, huh? He's a character yeah. and very knowledgeable, and I think he'd be loads of fun to talk to. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So how did the CNC cookbook come about? What what made you decide to start a website? You know, I was, uh, my background, I had done seven different venture capital startups in Silicon Valley and did well by them, but I, it was it was not a labor of love. I really wanted a chance to do something that would matter personally to me, right? I mean, I did a lot of business software and stuff that other people were going to use and be passionate about, but I... I wanted to do something for myself and my, you know, my love was CNC. And so, uh, I had been kind of doing a, a blog for a while, uh, and, and, uh, thought, well, let's build a product that solves a real problem that I struggle with, which was feeds and speeds. Okay. Well, that's, yeah, now you're, so you're, um, you started with the website and then you transitioned into the like, G-Wizard software kind of came out of that. Like how long did you run the website before the software was born? We've been around, we're coming up on 20 years. The website was started in 2000 and I, I started shipping the first paid for version of the G-Wizard calculator in 2009. So it's 10 years old and it was in a uh, beta test. I, I believe in a long beta test where I just give it away. Uh, to make sure the product really is working for real users. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I started the, the beta in like 2007. Oh, wow. And you developed it yourself then? You didn't, yeah. You didn't hire a firm or anything? It's all, all done by no, you? No, I wrote, no. I wrote all that code myself. Yeah, and, that's that's uh, awesome. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a good skill to possess uh, when you, when you want to do that because uh, development of a piece of software like that could cost – a ton of money if you had to go outward out somewhere to get it developed you know it's also really hard to get uh, a certain level of software talent and uh, you know I've hired the best and the brightest in that area for a lot of Silicon Valley firms I've written code on on world-class products myself at, at you know most of my career I have made sure that I still had a hand in writing some software and not just became a professional manager. Right. So what was your original intention when you started the the website though? I mean, did you like, did you just start it for fun and then hope that it turned into a business or did you, what was that always your intention from the day you bought the domain name? No, I never, I never intended it to be a business. Uh, you know, it was, it was a long time between when I started it and I even attempted to have a product. I'm just obsessed with learning and, mastery of whatever concepts I get interested in. And, uh, you know, at, at the time, there weren't really any CNC blogs in existence. You know, the magazines were thin, they were mostly ads, they weren't very interesting. And so I wanted to put together a really high octane feed for, you know, CNCers. I don't, you know, I use that term CNCers, car people are 
it's a, I haven't heard a better term than CNCers, but I just, I really wanted to share this learning journey with, with that audience. And turns out they were excited about it. I look on there, I don't know, I, I reference it once a week, and I, I know you have a lot of articles that are geared towards the CNC machinist realm, but you've got a lot of content now that you've been putting up for router stuff. So I always find something interesting there, and, and I get your emails every week, which I also find is amazing that you have enough time to put together a really good, solid article that goes out once, sometimes twice a week, I think. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm blessed. I I. You know, I do my research. That's the hard part of the article. But the writing, I, I can get by just kind of, I can write what I what in my head I would just say, and it, and it comes out good enough that I can get away with that. Yeah. Yeah, there, well, it's, it's really, really good information. You're uh, one of the few people that I get email from on a regular basis I actually look forward to getting. So <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> so... G-Wizard, uh, that's that's really the bulk of what I was hoping to talk about today because, like I said, I've been uh, I've been telling a lot of our customers, especially in our Q series, that about the software and and why they should be using it. Um, and I was I, I want to kind of hear from you know maybe you tell everybody in your own words like what is what what is G-Wizard all about and you know what was your intention when you designed it and how how is it going to help them be better CNCers? Great, so. There were three things I wanted to do with uh, uh, G Wizard when I when I started building it. Uh, first is I wanted the world's best feeds and speeds calculator, and uh, I knew a little bit about calculation. My very first company that I started built a spreadsheet called Quattro Pro back in the day, you know, so I understand calculators. And I also knew from having tried to create one that you can't solve the full feeds and speeds problem with just spreadsheets and, and simple formulas. Uh, there's some serious higher math that you can't even do in a, in a spreadsheet to getting the right answer. Uh, you know, G-Wizard has what I like to call a cutting physics engine that considers 60 different variables when it's coming up with the answer. So, I, you know, to build the world's best feeds and speeds calculator, I had to have real software built for that and not just a spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. Uh, the second thing that I wanted to do is, it's going to sound weird and I, I don't know how to get it out any better than this, but I wanted it to help people remember tips. Okay. I'm an, I'm an obsessive list maker and I used to pour over, I still do. I used to pour over tooling catalogs and read their technical sections and they're just full of all these wonderful tips and guidelines. You know, for example, when the depth of your hole exceeds this many diameters, you need a peck cycle. Mm -hmm. When it exceeds that many diameters, you need to go to parabolic flutes, you know, yada, yada, yada. I would collect all these little gems, but I mean, there's so many of them. There's hundreds, if not thousands, you know, run a reamer at half the speed and, and, and twice the feed of a twist drill. Mm -hmm. And it just goes on and on. And, you know, I, I eventually I asked myself, well, how does anybody ever remember all these tips? And, you know, talk to a lot of professional CNCers, and the answer is mostly they don't. They can't. There's too many tips, and you use a lot of them too seldom. So I wanted the software to remember all those tips for me, and, and G-Wizard does that, and that's one of the really unique things that it does is it, it pops up all these little tips that are kind of, uh, you know, they're not just facts and numbers. They're suggestions for how to do things. 
Right. Uh, so, so that's the second thing. The third thing was, you know, as I say, and you can probably tell from listening to me, I'm a little bit obsessive compulsive. <laughs> I wanted to optimize the numbers, right? It's not enough just to have some good numbers. I wanted optimal numbers. I mean, we were chatting a second ago about uh, just before we started the podcast. Well, well, how do you figure out what's a good cut depth and cut width? Right. Right. And, you know, the honest answer is most machinists, they just pull out a rule of thumb or they use the values they've always used. Those are not the optimal numbers. And in fact, what's funny is those two numbers matter more to your productivity of the machine than really optimizing the feeds and speeds afterward. So if you're just guessing at those, you're leaving a lot on the table. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I built this code that in, in, in G-Wizard, it's called the CAD CAM Wizards, that literally that's what it does, is it uses some really fancy artificial intelligence algorithms to test hundreds of scenarios to find the absolute best numbers there for tool life and material removal rates. So along those lines, to kind of finish the conversation, so for everybody listening, I, uh, I I use GWizard all the time, and I, I started to ask Bob um, a question with regards to how do we determine what the proper cut depth you should put in the software to get the right speed and feed numbers from that. And uh, he was getting ready to explain it to me uh, with a screen share, and then I cut him off because I didn't want to make him say it twice, and I thought that it would be really good content to have in the podcast. So. Maybe we can kind of pick up at that point because, like I said... Yeah, let's do it. Let's run through an example. <clears throat> yeah, so explain, I guess, explaining the workflow process. So, like, when I when I start to use, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe I'm using the software the wrong way, um, but, I like, I use a lot of Amana tooling. So when I go to start the process, I put my Amana tool into the tool library, and I, I uh, chip load is, it seems to be the one kind of common factor that the tool... Uh, you know, the manufacturer says this tool needs to run between one and three thousandths for a chip load. So I want to, I usually will put that in, maybe I'll put two thousandths in and I'll lock it so that that doesn't change. Um, because I know that that's a number that's set by the manufacturer. And then I kind of go through everything else from there. I mean, what, is that the proper way to do it? Is that like what the workflow should look like? That's a fine way to do it. Um, what's the proper way, you know? I can't say that's an improper way. I'll tell you how I do it. I'll tell you how I do it. So uh, G-Wizard has this uh, this couple of manufacturer setting where it asks for surface speed and chip load. And <clears throat> what you have to know is G-Wizard is pretty conservative on its defaults. And so you don't have to worry about having to go look that stuff up in order to avoid breaking tools. If you use G-Wizard's defaults, you're not going to break tools. Mm-hmm. So first thing is, unless I have a reason to believe I either can or want to go a lot faster, I don't even bother looking up those numbers. I just run the defaults. They're fun. Uh, if I paid a premium price for a premium cutter, well, hey, I'm expecting more performance out of that cutter. And yeah, I'm going to go enter the manufacturer's numbers and I'm going to stick them in the tool crib so that it's there for me and I never have to look that up again. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's how I think about the manufacturer's numbers. Uh, Then the second part of it, the cut depth and the cut width, I always start from uh, CAD CAM wizards rather than the feeds and speeds tab. 
Okay. And I do that for a couple of reasons. One, it just saves a lot of time. Uh, CAD CAM Wizards asks you many fewer questions and they're simpler questions. So like I've, I've popped over here and I don't know, maybe do I need to renew my screen share so yeah. you can see it? Yeah, go ahead and do okay. that. I know everybody's listening won't be able to see it, but uh, it, but we'll be talking so it'll make sense. Yeah. All right. So I'm over here in CAD CAM Wizards and, it, you know, the, the weird way that CAD CAM Wizards came about was it's kind of like you may have heard the uh, uh, chicken and egg joke. about mm-hmm. Well, you know, which came first or, you know, uh, uh, the chicken is the egg's way of making another egg. Well, one way to think about feeds and speeds is who cares? Who cares? All I have to do is answer all the crazy questions my cam software wants me to answer, and then I'll get my G-code and I can make my part. So CAD CAM wizards are all about what is the least number of questions you can answer to get that recipe to make your cam software happy. So let's say we're gonna make a pocket, right? I come in and I say, well, you know, I tell it which machine I wanna run on, I tell it the material, you know, let's do some, uh, let's do some hardwood, let's set, and uh, I want to go a half an inch deep, right? It wants to know my minimum corner radius because that's going to determine how large or small of a tool that I can run. And then I hit recal. And basically, it's going to give me a complete recipe here, a roughing pass, finish pass. It's going to tell me what it thinks the best tool for the job is. Here's your cut depth and cut width, uh, you know, Here's your feeds and speeds. Here's all those hints and tips I mentioned. Those get carried out. And so mm-hmm. I've got really everything I need to make my CAM software happy. Okay. And, it, you know, it did that almost instantly. Uh, and in the process, you can see down here at the bottom, what it did is it used the feeds and speeds engine to consider over 600 different scenarios. Right? I mean, nobody's got time to do that. And so this thing right? Really optimized your problem. And it, you know, if you want to drill down and play with it some more, uh, you can double click and it'll carry all of that over into feeds and speeds. And now you have it here as a starting point. If you want to play with it and see, well, maybe I want to do something a little different here. Maybe I want to change the tortoise hair slider to be more conservative. So that's, that's how I would do it. And particularly if you're a beginner, Right. You don't have to know. Well, you know, I hear this all the time. Beginners are going, well, what is chip load anyway? And where do I find that in the tooling catalog? You don't have to know any of that. Go into CAD CAM Wizards. Right. You know how deep your pocket is you're going to make or your hole or, you know, whatever it is you're going to do. You know those things. Mm-hmm. Right? There's no crazy jargon there. And this will figure it out for you really fast, really easy. And the answers are great. OK, so. In, the, in this scenario right now, so if you choose the machine and you choose the material, and so what he has on the screen right now is he has a depth set of a half inch uh, with a minimum quarter radius of uh, a quarter inch. Um, now, the, the first thing that it's coming up for a roughing pass is a half inch four flute end mill. So what if you didn't want to use a four flute? What if you wanted to use, like for instance, on a CNC router with higher RPMs, we're going to use one and two flute end mills more than three and four. So... so- no problem. I, I double click over here and just change it. 
Double click into feeds and speeds. I can pick whatever I want. I want to go a single flute. Cool. Let's go to a single flute. All the numbers update. You're there. Okay, so it, okay, so on the screen here, it's just as simple as telling it how many flutes are in there. You're not there's nothing specific that you put in in the software about the actual end mill. You're using general uh, stuff from your library. Correct. Okay, as gotcha. a starting point. Yep, gotcha. And uh, at some point in the not too distant future, rather than having it use the generics, you'll be able to say, just use what's in my my defined tool tables because mm -hmm. that's what I have in my shop. Just choose from those, pick what the best one would be and go for it. So once you build up the library and the software, you could actually set it up so that it'll only pick from your tools that you have on the shelf then. At, at Not what? available yet, but it's in development. That's and cool. Will be that's a yeah. really, that's a really good, that'll be awesome when that comes up. Um, so on the, uh, when you go to the speeds and feeds and it gives you your final, recipe to start with um your your uh cut depth i guess that's what i was asking you earlier so my rule of thumb and you know, please correct me if i'm wrong but in, in our d series machines whenever you're talking about desktop series or any of the more inexpensive belt drive machines and stuff if somebody were to ask me i'm going to run an eighth inch end mill what should i my cut depth be i usually tell them half the diameter of of the end mill as a good safe place to be for your cut depth um and then they'll ask okay what's a good feed and speed and that's where you get into okay you know it really depends on how rigid the machine is and there's a lot of factors that play in that but but cut depth is a number that the software will calculate for you but is is that so you're always good to go by that number or should you is there like an alternate rule of thumb like should you put in okay it's a half inch ml i should do a quarter inch cut depth or an eighth inch cut depth so first thing is if you want optimal results, the rules of thumb are, are not the way to go because they can't capture the real complexity of, of the physics of what's going on here. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, the easiest way to see that is look how far away from that number uh, uh, CAD CAM Wizards came up with. Now, you bring up a different issue, which is you're concerned about whether that cut is too aggressive for your machine. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, G-Wizard can adapt to that too. In the end of the day, the, the aggressiveness is best measured by how much horsepower is being pumped into the cutter. And for this particular cut, we're talking about it. It's a two horsepower cut. Um, so, you know, your first question is, can your machine even do that? But let's just plug in your, your half diameter <laughs> Yeah, that takes it down to 1.5 horsepower. Mm -hmm. Now, what's the machine capable of? G-Wizard will help you to put some uh, some science around that. I, I just went to the machine profile. Now I have a Haas dialed up. So let's dial up something uh, that's perhaps a little more to the point here. Like let's dial up one of these step crack machines. Right? I can come in there and I can go, okay, hit the adjust button on the horsepower. And tell it, I want to do a weight adjusted uh, based on either the rigidity of a vertical machining center, if you're going to be a, a metal cutter or a CNC router. In this case, let's go for CNC router. Click save. And it comes back and it says, you, you want to limit the horsepower that goes into the cut to two-thirds of a horse. Mm -hmm. 
Now, what does that mean? Where'd that come from? Basically, I took benchmarks from a bunch of industrial grade, very rigid machines, and I compared the weight of the frame to the work envelope, and I you know, figured out what does it take and how much horsepower can you put in and still achieve the same level of rigidity. So now it's saying two-thirds of a horse. And the thing is, reality is somewhere between that two-thirds and the full two-and-a-half or whatever it was horsepower that we dialed up earlier. And the, and the trick is every machine's a little different. If you want to be conservative, you will never go wrong taking that two-thirds number. If you're going to do production and make money with the machine, just start upping that until you see until you see things glitch a little bit. You know, next next time try a horse, horse and a half, whatever. You will find out what that number needs to be for your exact machine pretty quickly. You know, and you don't have to break tools to do it. You'll start to see surface finish and other minor issues. Just back off from there a little bit, and you've now perfectly dialed this thing in. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, actually, it does. It does make a lot of sense. So now that's something I I just have to uh, have to play with. I didn't even realize that was uh, an option. Um, I, I have not, like I said, I I haven't dove that far into it. So I, I I'm not using the software. I think effectively because even the CAD CAM um, wizard that you just told me about, I don't ever use that either. I just go in and put in the chip load from the tool and start playing with the feeds and speed screen, which has worked well for me. I get, I get really good results on it, but if there's a faster way to do it or, you know, giving me different options, um, now I'm, I'm all for that for sure. So and it will, it will work well. I'm not about trying to force every, every round peg into a square hole. We can do it either way, but I'm just saying if it's me doing it and I know everything the software can do, that's how I'd approach it. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I like the fact that you can kind of, detune that horsepower thing too to so so then once you have that set then that saves as the parameter for that particular machine so if you for whatever your machine is that you have so then i guess what i'm saying is after you after you you play with that number and you get good results you can save that profile so the next time you have to do a different job say you're doing aluminum or uh you know plastic or something you your numbers should be closer. Your, whatever the feed and speeds that it, it's telling you to use, you, you sh you'll have more and more confidence with that? Yes, absolutely. Okay. It, in fact, you should never have to change that number again, really. Okay. Because I guess another thing that, uh, and this will apply not, you know, to, to say a lot of the, the desktop CNC users that might be listening, um, aluminum. So cutting aluminum is a is a big thing. That's always a hot topic with people with CNC routers. And, uh, you know, I, I've seen videos where everybody, you know, obviously we can do it. Shapeoko, X-Carve, all those guys can do, have videos online of them doing aluminum. Now, I've seen some videos where, uh, for instance, Winston Moy is a good example. He had a video the other day that he was doing something aluminum on his Shapeoko machine, and he was taking... I think ten thousandths of an inch per pass. It was it was a really small pass. Now a machine like that, there are some machines that are just not that rigid at all. Regardless of how much horsepower you have, the machine itself doesn't have the rigidity to handle that aggressive of a cut. So how do you? What's your advice on that whole consideration with lighter machines? Yeah, I want to talk about two things. One is is this consideration of the rigidity. And it's just what I mentioned. Use this adjust function. You'll get the number. 
and it'll work no matter what the material. Okay. Um, aluminum. One of the most popular articles on our whole website, and we have like 3,000 articles, is I have this article called uh, 10 Tips for Cutting Aluminum on Your CNC Router. Yep. And you're right. People want to do it, and it's it's not easy to do. But uh, surprisingly, a lot of times it has less to do with rigidity and more to do with this really nasty property that aluminum has. Aluminum actually has a chemical attraction to the materials your cutters are made out of. It wants to weld itself onto those cutters. And there's there's two ways to avoid it. One is you take really, really shallow passes, you blow a lot of air on it or you vacuum like crazy, and you get those chips out of there before they can weld on. Mm -hmm. And That'll work. That'll work. It's kind of, you know, scary. It's living on the edge, but it'll it'll work for the most part. The more conservative you are, you mentioned a 10,000th uh, depth of cut, which is a tiny little depth of cut. Right. And, uh, you know, the deeper you go relative to the diameter of the cutter, the harder it is to get the chips out of the way before they've welded themselves onto your cutting edge. Um. So that brings me to the second thing you can do, which is lubricate the cutter. And, you know, the big CNC machines, you know, they have flood coolant. Router gang doesn't want to run flood on routers. It's just nasty. It's messy. It's, it's, it's not worth it. Right. But here's the crazy thing. <laughs> Get yourself a pump bottle of WD-40. Spritz that thing every three to five seconds, and you'll be fine with deeper cuts. Okay. That's as little as it takes to get there. If you want to get a little more professional about it, get a mister built onto your machine that can aim at the cut just for cutting aluminum. Yeah, we've done that before too. Oh, it makes such a huge difference, doesn't it? I mean, your productivity goes way up. Right. What do you think about, I've heard alcohol and water mixture for coolant. Is that, have you ever tried that or is that? Well, the Daytrons use alcohol exclusively and it works great for them. Okay. I mean, cool, super high-speed router-style machines, uh, very expensive, works great for them. I've never tried it. Okay. You know, I just use uh, either commercial water-based coolant uh, that, like you would use in flood, but instead it's in a mist. Yeah. Or like I said, in a pinch, I don't even have a mister on my CNC routers. If I go to cut aluminum, I just take my pump bottle of uh, WD and go after it. Okay. I'll, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's good advice. Um, I know, like I said, aluminum is always a, a challenge. It's taken me a long time to come up with the right recipes. Uh, our Q series machines are for me, it's, it's a lot different. I, I can machine really aggressively on that, even with aluminum. And it's, uh, I'm, I'm very confident in whatever the numbers spit out on the D series side with the desktops. Um, again, we had talked earlier, you know, when people build a kit machine, uh, one of the issues you have with a kit or even a DIY uh, custom home-built machine is how, how well they put it together because you could have three kits built by three different people that have three different levels of rigidity to them based on how well they, they assembled it or set the machine up. Absolutely true. Yeah. Totally true. I had a job that uh, we ran for a customer, and I've talked about it before on the podcast. So it was uh, it was our first 
uh, D-Series machine installation, and uh, he had a mahogany that he was running. And it was about an inch and a half, inch and a qu- inch and a quarter, I think, thick. So he had had a lot of it to run. It was like literally like a week and a half's worth of eight to ten hour days of production to get through this stuff. So he was running a half inch end mill. It was mostly profile cuts, and we were using a monotooling on there and uh, did everything that we thought was okay. He asked me, what should I run it at? And again, I went back to the rule of thumb, quote unquote. And so I said, you know, run it, um, you know, half the diameter. Let's start there for your depth. And, uh, you know, let's run it uh, 15,000 RPM and try running it at 45 millimeters a second. Because we, we talk a lot millimeters a second versus inch per minute. But And uh, he ran it and he was happy. And he called me up, though, and he said, at the end of the day, he said, my, my bit is black and it's smoking. And, yeah. and I, I was like, well, why the hell is that happening, you know? So went and got him another bit, and he ran it pretty much the same way the next day, end of the day, sure enough, spent that bit too. So he called Amana and uh, talked to them, and at the same time, I put the information. I just started using G-Wizard, and it was interesting because Amana's uh, final settings and our what I came up with through G wizard were very, very close. It was as if they were using the same program and a lot of cases they are, I can't swear to it with a mana, but a lot of tooling people buy G wizard to use in their customer service. Yeah, it might've been. Yeah. It might've actually been that because they, we were literally talking about being off by a couple percent from what they said. <laughs> and, and the results though, and maybe you can explain why this is or, or whatnot for everybody, but the results were, okay, you don't want to run, um, a quarter inch or half the diameter. In fact, it said we should run slightly over. So I think it was like, uh, it wasn't five eighths, but it was it was just slightly over a half inch. And instead of, and, and, and it was running almost 96 millimeters a second. So double the feed rate with a lower RPM is what we ended up coming out with. So it was it was like twelve thousand or thirteen thousand RPM given given this end mill, and I was like, there is absolutely no way this is going to run. That's way too deep of a cut, way too fast. Like it it just didn't make any sense to me. But because two your software and the manufacturer of the tool had said this is what we should run at, I said, well, let's just do it, see what happens. He ran that job with the same cutter for the entire week, running ten hours a day, and it it was flawless. And it was, I, I couldn't believe it. It was because it was completely against anything I'd known from being in the desktop world for so long that, you know, you really have to, you trust what this software is telling you to do. And, you know, not necessarily not understanding why that, that recipe made more sense. I thought that being conservative would be better, but it was burning up bits. Yeah. It's, it's hard to develop that trust, isn't it? <clears throat> yeah. Your, your intuition is just, Oh, I got to go easier. I got to slow it down. I got to do this. I got to do that. And the thing is, so heat is what was killing that cutter. It was turning it black. Right. And, uh, yeah, some of your hardwoods have so much oil in the, uh, in the sawdust that that, that sawdust just wants to sit down there in the bottom of that hole and add friction. Right. And I mean, the, the cutters made out of this super hard material, that friction doesn't break the color cutter but it heats it up uh the other thing that can happen uh is a phenomenon called rubbing mm-hmm. 
Uh, and when you talked about reducing the RPMs and increasing the feed rate, that's an anti-rubbing strategy there. Okay. Um, what happens when you rub? So imagine the edge of a knife, right? We like to think of it as, you know, it's going to come down to a triangular point. And think about scraping that across the top of a surface. And that's kind of what your cutter's doing. Mm -hmm. Now, zoom in on that with a microphone, a <laughs> microscope, and uh, pretty soon that triangular end point, it's no longer a point. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an arc. It's a semicircle, right? I mean, the cutter has finite sharpness. It's not infinitely sharp. Now, and I can, I can uh, give you a diagram that uh, um, really shows this. If the top of the material when you're making your cut is below the center line of that semicircular edge, that thing is going to rub. It can't get up under the chip to pull the chip off. Okay. Right? It's It kind of scrapes along the top, and it, it forces that chip by friction, and that makes it run way hotter. And that's just one of those little bits of physics that, you know, the calculator is designed to overcome for you. It's got a rubbing warning uh, that'll tell you, no, you got to go faster than this or you're going to burn up your cutter. Yeah. Well, it was it was interesting for me. And that, that was the tipping point to, you know, diving in, learning the software um, and, and trusting what the results were. And I have not been off yet. I think every every time I use it, um, you know, I may make a minor adjustment or a tweak when I'm running the job, but for the most part, it's it's a, always gives me a perfect starting point. Which I want to say, 85 percent of the time, I just leave the job, whatever those settings are, and it just it's reliable. Um, so trying to get more customers and people involved in and in learning how to use it and to trust the results that you get as well. The, the more people I have use it, the more um, happy customers I have because less broken bits, less burned up bits. Uh, you know, a lot of times their production time is cut down because, you know, we're, we're using a quote unquote rule of thumb that's conservative when, you know, like running plastic, acrylic is a good example. Uh, a lot of people think, oh, well, I can I should run my feed slower but running a slow feed rate and a high RPM in plastic is a dis disaster because it melts and heats up. And, uh, and so that's, that's another thing where when you put those parameters in, the, some of the results you get are, it's like, wow, I should really run that fast at that low RPM. And, you know, you have to trust it. You do. And in fact, uh, it's, it's a little bit counterintuitive, but if you're, set up with the right feeds and speeds there's heat generated but it goes away in the chip right and that's another reason why you need to do i tell people be paranoid about clearing chips you know <laughs> well you have to point a little stream of compressed air or whatever just try to get rid of the chips yeah because they just don't do you any good at all the longer they sit it down there in the cut uh but the heat goes away in the chip and uh it's so important particularly for uh, more delicate materials. I mean, you you know, it's okay if if you're cutting, you know, metals and they get a little bit warm. You're not going to melt the metal. But, you know, you can burn your wood, you can melt your plastic, and, you know, that's no fun. Yeah, yeah, it, it does. And and that's, 
I, fun. I think you just hit on that word. I mean, that's it sounds silly to say, but G-Wizard software will actually help you have more fun with your experience when you're when you're using CNC, especially if you're a hobbyist. I mean, forget about it. If you're a business owner, it's almost a necessity because you uh, you know your time is money and tooling's expensive and materials expensive. But when you're just a maker in your garage with your machine. Breaking bits is no fun on a Saturday afternoon when you only have one, you know, end mill left that can cut aluminum and you want to get this project done, you know, and that's so to me, that's that's where I I tend to say I I have more fun when I'm using the machine because I'm not worried about what my guesstimates are. I, I have some tangible, accurate data to go by. Yeah, I mean, to me, fun is in the parts. Can I can I get the parts I want out of the machine without having to, you know, stand on my head and spit nickels? And anything that makes that easier, I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, one of the other tips that comes up a lot when I uh, when I run the the G Wizard is uh, it'll and it, this is a whole nother conversation probably, but I'm going to ask you because you did put a good email out the other day on climb versus ah. conventional. So, um. I saw, you know, sometimes I'll put something in and it'll say, okay, we recommend you run conventional for this operation, or sometimes we recommend you run climb. Um, from now understanding that my audience with this podcast is more geared to CNC routers, what what are your thoughts on that? I mean, that, that that's always a, a topic that a lot of people ask because most of the CAM software has a button to choose one or the other. Um, but in your experience, what it how would you describe the whole conventional versus climb thing and giving advice on that? That's a weird and interesting topic. <laughs> Most CNCers, they're used to the idea of, you know, we're just going to put that sucker on climb and leave it there and forget about it. Mm-hmm. But at some point in my travels, and this is where these tips come in, I discovered some articles that said, hey, you don't want to always climb. There's cases where conventional has the advantage. And uh, let me try to explain uh, what that advantage is. And it it boils down to the forces of cutting will deflect your cutter. It'll it'll bend it a little bit in some direction or another. In general, climb milling puts less force on the cutter than conventional milling. And so from that standpoint, right, seems like we should always do climb milling. But... But it's always a but, isn't there? <laughs> um, the thing about it is, climb milling tends to deflect the tool into the wall of the cut, whereas conventional milling will tend to deflect the tool back in the direction the tool came from. So, what that means is, climb milling can suck the cutter into taking a heavier cut than you planned for. And that can create problems, right? Okay. It can affect your surface finish, for example. It can make your cut less accurate. It could reduce your tool life. Um, and so the, the the tip is all about reducing your tendency to climb mill as you take a heavier and heavier cut. The very heaviest cuts, uh, you really want to uh, consider at least the possibility of a conventional cut instead of a climb cut. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, what about when you're cutting a slot as opposed to, you know, if you're coming in from a part from the edge, 
a lot of times in router work, you know, we'll start with a piece of material and cut the part out of the material, like from the center of it, as opposed to, you know, putting a block of aluminum in a vise and then machining it from the outside in. So what are the effects of, of working in a slot? Because at that point, climb conventional, you're, you're, you're cutting 180 degrees regardless. It doesn't matter. You're quite right. Right. And so, you know, I wouldn't sweat it for uh, a full width cut, a slot as you put it. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't sweat it. Okay. Now, I I know um, I, I just my last podcast episode, I was talking to Lars Christensen from Fusion 360. And uh, Fusion is a program that I've been um, diligently learning and working with more and more as time goes on. And uh, especially whenever I have a project that I got a machine that's going to be out of aluminum and I am a big Vetric fan as well. And, and I love the Vetric program, but the one thing I like about fusion is they have more toolpath uh, capability with regards to machining metal or for instance, if you're going to do a pocket and, uh, if you decide you want to set that pocket up in in vetric you know that as it's going back and forth your climb conventional climb conventional as it's clearing the pocket where you could set adaptive clearing tool pass in fusion 360 so that it's always taking kind of a circular approach and it's it's take keeping a, a constant chip load as it as it cuts and it's always staying whether it's climb or conventional um that it's doing that so I know you you use a different cam program or whatnot, but what is your experience with that? I mean, what, with regards to some of the simpler cam programs out there when you when you start machining a, a pocket specifically? Actually, I use Fusion quite a bit. Um, I, I use about a half a dozen different uh, cam packages, including uh, Vectric Aspire, which I also like. Mm -hmm. um, so that's an interesting question. That whole you know, do I want to do adaptive clearing and just do climb milling or do I want to catch it both ways? And the bottom line the answer to that is if you if you say just do it climb, you're going to reduce the forces on the cutter by something like, I think, 17 percent. Mm -hmm. So in theory, uh, it, it may be helpful. But on the other hand, all those extra moves, right? Because you can't cut in both directions. So you got to wrap it around and get set for the next pass. Right. Are going to slow you down. <clears throat> so I I tend to prefer to uh, not go the single, not force it to just do climb and go. I want to do it both ways. Uh, in my experience, G Wizards uh, HSM feeds and speeds numbers, the adaptive clearing numbers it'll give you. Are conservative enough enough that that works fine. Mm. Uh, there are going to be certain parts, and the only way you're ever going to know is you got to run it both ways. Uh, that will benefit from only only uh, doing pure climb. But uh, you know, to me, that's an interesting but somewhat uh, esoteric option. Yeah. Well, I know that I've I've um, I've read online and I've seen other videos on YouTube where people talk about. Uh, setting their their speeds and feeds with a hobby type machine when you're a beginner by using your ear, and uh, I always thought I always found that interesting. Um, 
If oh, it, I want to talk about that for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I read a post the other day about that and the guy, I was actually, it was, uh, it was a post that led me to a video and the guy explained it like, if your machine sounds like you just stuck a pig uh, and it was squealing or something, then, then you'd have to change your parameters on your cutting. I've, I've never really given advice directly. I, I tell people to listen. Obviously, you listen when you're running a CNC machine. If something sounds wrong or bad or you're getting chatter or something like that, that that's an audible. Well, it'll be visual too, but you'll hear it before you'll probably see it. Um, you know what? I mean, what are your what are your thoughts on that? On using your ear for speed and feeds? You said the magic word. You can hear chatter. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way I think about it is. You can hear really bad feeds and speeds, like really terrible feeds and speeds you can hear, but you can't hear the difference between something that's mediocre and something that's optimal, let's say. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing, a little thought experiment. If you could, and there are many uh, experienced machinists who claim they can, but if you could, you'd be able to buy ear training CDs. That'll train your ear to hear perfect beats and speeds. Mm-hmm. And Boeing, if you interviewed to be, be a machinist there, would insist that you take a hearing test where they play back feeds and speeds, and you have to tell them which ones are good and which ones are bad. Oh, wow. Okay. Either thing ever happens in practice. You can't buy ear training CDs. Right. And the Boeings of the world don't test your expertise with an ear test. Because mm-hmm. you can only hear really bad feeds and speeds. You can't hear good feeds and speeds. That's interesting. I uh, yeah, I guess I guess that's true. I I think in my case, whenever I'm running a machine and everything is running well, I don't uh, think about it at all. You know what I mean? But when something goes south, you you hear it right away. Um, you do. I'm a I've been a private pilot for many years, and and I always use the analogy when I talk to people is um, like with the with with your software, right? When I first started to use it, and I started to realize that the recipes it was giving me produced excellent results on the machine it's just like when you're learning your instruments on your airplane and you have to trust your instruments if, if they say you're level or you're going down then you have to trust that and there it, there was a it takes a while for some people to to become trusting in that and uh you know the same thing holds true when you're flying an airplane it has a certain noise and a feeling to it but darn if if you uh you know, your RPM moves two RPMs different. Your heart jumps instantly because you're so in tune with that, you know? Yeah, am I losing the magneto or whatever? Yeah, but, ex- uh... exactly. <laughs> My instructor used to do that. He used to, you know, he we would be on a cross-country, you get complacent, and you're not talking, and you're just sitting there. So he would reach down and and uh, turn one of the magnetos off and see what my reaction was. I think the first time he did it, I... I, my reaction was like I was going to jump out of the plane, and he was like, "Okay, that's not a good reaction." You know, so it's, but you know what? Just like as a pilot, yeah, it's not. It's not. Sound, yeah, sound is, sound is the same thing for for CNC. If you hear something that sounds bad, you need to stop and check. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Thumbs up. But just because it sounds good doesn't mean something bad isn't happening. And a great example is this rubbing thing that I mentioned. Right. You know, your friend that was turning the end mills black, that cut probably didn't sound that much different than the cut that actually worked well for him. Correct. 
but then your nose takes over because it also didn't smell very good. You're right. You know? You're right. So that's where all your senses come into play when you're using CNC machines. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. So I had one one other thing I was going to ask you, and this came from a customer too. Um, he he was cutting an aluminum part, and uh, he was doing uh, he was using Fusion. So it was an adaptive clearing coming in from the outside. Uh, aluminum is uh, in a vise. And I did a, a roughing pass to go around, then did a finishing pass to come in and clean it up. And the finished result on that part, if you look at the edges, had very fine vertical lines. And it didn't, you didn't get a sound since we're talking about sound. It didn't sound like there was chatter or anything like that. But keep in mind, this is on a CNC router as opposed to if I took the same part on a, on a vertical milling machine, it would probably have nice, perfectly smooth outside, you know, edges. What what should you look for when you see that? If they, I mean, we're talking very, very faint vertical lines. That is a form of chatter, correct? Probably. Although I will tell you, all this talk about mirror finishes and so on. In the end of the day, you know, if you look closely with any magnification at all, there's always tooling marks okay. on the material. Uh, but one of the particularly challenging things about chatter with uh, CNC routers is you got a very high speed spindle. Mm -hmm. And whatever RPMs you're running, let's just take 20,000 as an example, you know, or maybe 15,000. Uh, multiply that by how many flutes you have on the cutter. So I don't know, maybe you're running a two flute, and now that's 30,000. Look at the range of human hearing. It doesn't go up to 30,000 hertz. Right. right. Really, really seriously good hearing stops at 15 to 20,000. Mm -hmm. So the first thing that's happening is on a super high-speed spindle, if you're running very many flutes at all, it's really hard to hear exactly you know, what's going on with the chatter. Uh, the second issue is that... Uh, Darn routers put out a lot of wine themselves. Mm -hmm. And right. I can hardly hear myself think. Right. Uh, so, you know, it's not surprising if you didn't hear chatter. It doesn't mean there wasn't some chatter. I will I will give you one more uh, thing that's really pretty cool about G-Wizard. There's a chatter calculator. Okay. So if the vertical lines are such that you could actually measure them, mm -hmm. Right? Let's say they are a thousandth of an inch apart, for example. And you know, I don't know what. Let's let's say we're going 400 uh, surface feet a minute, and let's say we've got two flutes. If you look down, it gives you the chatter minimizing speeds. Right. If you run your spindle at those speeds, then that impact of the flute hitting the material is going to interfere with the natural chatter frequency that generated those marks and it'll minimize the chatter. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Right? Yeah. Okay. So if you're, if you're running in this case, I, I'm looking at the screen here. I wish I could take a screenshot cause I'll put it on the show notes, but uh, I could actually go in and do this and create my own screenshot later. But so if I'm running this particular job at 18,000 RPM and I'm getting these marks by reducing it to 13, 333 or upping it to 20, we'll take it Bingo. out. Of, uh, that'll take Bingo. it out of resonation. 
Okay. Exactly. Shatter is a resonant phenomenon, and it's actually highly repeatable. We've got a whole article on how to map the chatter ranges on your machine. Uh, and so once you learn which RPMs to avoid, and it also matters what tool you're running and so on, uh, you, you, you own chatter, man. It is, it is under your thumb and you can make it go away. That's interesting. You don't see a, a difference. Like for instance, if you saw a part that had these vertical lines in it, would you, would you attribute that potentially to a climb versus conventional operation or would you immediately go to looking at like a chatter calculator here or something? It really would depend on how severe they were versus what I was used to. Okay. The thing is, get a sense of what you're used to because you do a lot of different cuts and you you can get a sense of what normal quote unquote tooling marks look like on your machine. Right. Uh, try some experiments. Uh, the whole question of whether I should run the finish pass as climb versus conventional, in the end of the day, on those shallow cuts, the only way to tell which one will give a better finish is to run the experiment. That's what I've read, too. Yeah. I've, yeah. I've, I've seen videos on that, too, where they said there's no – it gets down to it. There's no exact right or wrong. You just have to try it. Can't predict. you got to try it. And yeah. so – Try that. So now you'll have an idea, you know, of, of if it always looks that way, okay, I know what that looks like. And then you get one and the, the finish is lousy, you know, it's easy if you heard the distinctive sound of chatter, but if you didn't and the finish is really lousy, that chatter's got to be on your checklist to take a look at it. Yeah, yeah that's, that's great advice. Yeah. Wow. This has been awesome. I, uh, I'm glad uh, I, I know we're coming up on an hour, so I, I don't want to keep you uh, too much longer. But maybe at some point we can uh, revisit. A set. You know, I have I, usually what happens, I get a lot of questions uh, like, oh, you should have asked this or you should have asked that. So if that happens here, I'll uh, maybe we can get together in, in a while and, and do another uh, discussion for a podcast to go over specific things like that that might come up. I'd, I'd love to do it, Eric. I'd love to do it. I got to say, you're kind of a tough host. You ask, you know, some pretty deep questions here. Yeah, well, I, I this is all I do. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm here in front of my machines uh, more than I'm at home with my family and, and all that. So, yeah, this is a this is a huge part of my life. So I, I take uh, a lot of time to educate myself because I want to continue to educate my customers. Uh, so, you know, and every day it's a new project from a new customer that presents a new challenge. And, uh, that's one of the exciting things about what I do, what I, I love what I do because of that. So, uh, you know, when I'm introduced to tools like your software that, you know, I don't need my magic wand anymore. Uh, it's, it, it's awesome because it makes the, the whole, it makes everything more enjoyable at the end of the day. It really does. Um, so I really appreciate, uh, you know, you, bringing this software to life and uh, and putting so much effort behind it and supporting it and all the emails and the knowledge that you're sharing all the time. It, it means a lot. I'm, I'm sure I'm speaking for more people than just myself. Well, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. It's, it's been a lot of fun. I really did enjoy getting into some of these in-depth things. I know I, I know I talk too much, but uh, <laughs> so hopefully I. I helped a little bit. And again, I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. And if anybody wants to reach you, Best place to get a hold of you would be cnccookbook.com? Yeah, send, a, send an email to bob at cnccookbook.com. I'm happy to answer. Okay. And uh, one last thing. What is the 
cost structure on the software for anybody that's wondering since I've been raving about it for an hour here? Well, there you go. Uh, you can get uh, G-Wizard in one-year, three-year, or lifetime subscriptions. Uh, it's 79 bucks for the for the one-year. And it, it's something to think about on the one-year. A lot of hobbyists just go for the one-year. Because at the end of the one-year, everything keeps working. All the features, you get all the new releases, you get the customer support. The only thing that happens is it puts a two-horsepower limit on the feeds and speeds. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of hobby machines, two horsepower is plenty. It's all you'll ever need. Right. And, uh, so that means you get it basically lifetime for 79 bucks. Oh, okay. That's And, yeah, by the way, Eric and I uh, talked about this a little bit. We need to figure out some kind of a deal for Eric's audience. So maybe he and I will talk about that. Yeah, that'd be great. If you, um, yeah, if you can come up with something, I'll definitely put that in the show notes and let people know. Um, because I, I am promoting the software literally with every single machine that we're selling in our, especially in our, our Q series. And like you and I were talking about, uh, I got to do some experimenting here with it, with the, um, the, the more hobby grade uh, line of machines as well, because uh, everything's an education, right? Somebody buys their first CNC machine. If I threw this software at them, I think it would uh, their head would explode. But if I can send the software with them with a very simple tutorial on how to utilize it for that machine, it's going to save them a lot of money and a lot of headache and really add a lot of enjoyment to having a CNC machine. Which would be great. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely. We'll figure out a, a discount here and, and put something together. All right, Bob. Well, thank you so, so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. And uh, it's been great talking to you and getting to know you um, after all this time. And uh, so thank you so much. And like I said, for anybody listening, uh, cnccookbook.com, uh, head over there and take a look and make sure you get on Bob's mailing list because your inbox will be filled with a lot of really good information uh, every week. And uh, so, yes, please do that. All right. Outstanding. All right, Bob. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. Bob offered to give a $10 discount to anyone looking to purchase a one-year subscription to G-Wizard. This offer will be good until July 1st, 2019, so please hurry and take advantage of that. If you're interested, please go to www.stepcraft.us forward slash gwizard. Have a great week, and we look forward to having you back next week. Thank you for listening to the Think It, Make It podcast. Be sure to tune in next time for more great CNC router content.